So there's the New International Version on this Romans 8.1. Therefore, there's now no condemnation. What happened? Lost part of the verse. For those who are in Christ Jesus, well, if you open your New International Version, you'll find that verse is missing, those last 10 words of that verse 1. It's just not there, along with hundreds of others that have been removed, and whole verses and two verses straight in a row, that have been removed from the New International Version. Now, why in the world would they do that? You know what the Bible says? Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish all of it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. He said you're not to diminish the word of God. They just diminished it by ten words. What's that mean? Revelation 22, if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of those holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now, if you're a Calvinist, that verse is not in your Bible, at least you'd rather it not be. But it is what it is, and it says what it says. So if you take away from the, notice words, it didn't say ideas or thoughts, it said words. You know how many words are in the book of Revelation? I counted them, 12,000, exactly. And if you have a Bible that has less than that, or more than that, then it's not the words of God, if it's in English. So there's our new international version, and it is where it belongs, in the garbage dump. Now here's the Greek, Romans 8.1. Now I will not embarrass my Greek professor by attempting to read that for you. I didn't excel in Greek when I was in college. But there it is, that last part removed. Bible correctors protest the passage's authenticity, claiming it is doctrinally incorrect. Here's what they say. This comes out of a commentary. I went to my old library, which I don't use anymore. I use everything's digital, but I went to my old library and, and fanned the spiders off of everything. And I've got about a row about this long, literally on the shelf of Romans commentaries. I bought, I bought every Romans commentary I could find at any time I could find it. And I've familiarized myself with the content of all of them. I did that after I wrote my own commentary. Maybe I got some of them before I wrote it. But I just wanted to know what the other guys were saying. The revised version correctly omits, this is what Newell says, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Since the King James translation over 300 years ago, that's now 400 years ago, many and the best most accurate ancient Greek manuscripts which we have have been recovered and earnest godly men have gone steadily ahead with tedious but fruitful work of correcting arrows that had crept in copying. For as we all know, God has been pleased <laughs> to withhold these from creatures so prone to idolatry as the sons of men. So he says God is pleased to, to allow inspired scripture to pass away and be replaced with significantly corrupted substitutes. You know, there are a lot of men who are a whole lot smarter than me. I'm, I'm sure William R. Newell was several times smarter than I am and much more educated and much greater knowledge. But he was an ignorant man, a man who was ignorant because he didn't have faith. He based everything on what he objectively could see and understand. Now, 99% of his commentary is 
pretty good, uh, 95, 99, I don't know, somewhere in that neighborhood. It would be absolutely in agreement with what I would tell you. But there are several places he just ignores what God says. And one of those places is when he starts taking verses out of the words of God. So he said there's errors that have crept into copying. Now, how would that work, an error creep into copying? Okay, the, the average layman sees the Bible as one copy. Here it is. It's the only one copy in the world. And this scribe or Christian sits down to copy it, and he accidentally leaves out a phrase, or in this case, he jumped down several verses down, and he saw that exact phrase, which walked not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And so he accidentally copied it back into verse one, and then four verses later, he copies it again where it belongs. So an error crept into copying. That's the way he imagines it. But you know, the Bible existed from the first century in probably a hundred languages. The Peshitta, which is Arabic, which was spoken by the people in Jesus' day, even in Jerusalem. The Peshitta, a church has existed there in Syria until lately, and it's being killed off right now. But the churches existed there with their scriptures, and they claim that their scriptures were given to them by the apostles themselves who wrote the autographs, who also made copies for them in their Peshitta language. And we do know that the Peshitta language dates back all the way to the first century because we have pieces of it. So they said errors crept into copying. Now when, you know what safeguards the scriptures? If I were to write something in here today and, and then make a uh, hundred copies of it. And there's a Spanish speaking person here and he makes a copy into Spanish and we check it and we say, yeah, that's good. That's right. Because he, he knows my English and he understands it. So we correct it. And then another one makes a copy in German and Latin and so forth. And so we ended up with a hundred languages. And then each one of us go our ways and we make another hundred copies in these hundred different languages. And then we make a thousand copies and then we make 10,000 copies. In the meantime, there are people memorizing the scripture in all these languages. And, and in some cases, one man speaks seven languages. So he reads it in all seven languages. If there's an error, a scribal error, he sees it and immediately it's excised from the text. And so the Christians in those early days, since some of them didn't have Bibles, but many, many did, they had portions of scripture. They gave themselves to reading. Meetings consisted of hours of reading and rereading. And the people memorized the scripture and quoted it and they sang it. And so if someone were singing a verse of scripture or quoting a verse of scripture out of some language and they got it in error, there are another dozen languages in an area like that who also know the scripture and can identify the error and it would immediately be corrected. So the, the scriptures were safeguarded by putting, being put in multiple languages in the same generation by people who spoke multiple languages and could read in those languages. And so it's preserved for us to this day in tidbit, uh, tidbits and pieces of multiple languages, not just one Greek text somewhere. That's not unusual in many places in the world. And it certainly wasn't unusual in the first century. So you tell me how an error could creep into copying. It could not. So let's continue. 
Here's Ironside, great man of God, great teacher, but a little bit ignorant in some areas. He said, a glance at the revised version or any critical translation. A critical translation, we'll talk about that more, but a critical translation is a product of Bible critics. Not Bible believers, but Bible critics. Will show that what I am pointing out is sustained by all the editors. The Bible is subject to editors. My wife writes something and I edit it. Sometimes she says, I don't like the way you did that. I said, well, write it back the way you want it. And then she writes it again, I edit it. And sometimes I write something, I give it to her and she edits it. But you know what neither one of us has ever done? We've never edited the word of God. But there are people who think they're smart enough to edit the word of God. And they don't even ask God's permission. And he says, it was man's innate aversion to sovereign grace. I am certain that brought these qualifying words into the text of the common version. Innate aversion to sovereign grace. It's a Calvinist writing that. So what about an innate aversion to a perfect book? Now, he has the ability to be certain, but he's only certain of error in the words of God. I'm certain there is no error. He's certain there is. We have a difference of opinion. Now, William R. Newell's Romans verse by verse says, spiritual discernment also agrees. For the introduction of these words in verse one makes our safety depend upon our walk and not upon the spirit of God, but all in Christ Jesus are safe from condemnation as is plainly taught throughout the whole epistle. Otherwise, our security depends on our walk and not on our position in Christ. So to read the words of God, we must rely upon the spiritual discernment of men who do not agree with each other and keep changing their minds. So, you know, I have spiritual discernment, but I trust it about like I trust a bridge built out of cardboard. I may have to walk across it, but I walk very carefully. Now, John MacArthur, Romans 8, 1b, he says, is not found in the earliest manuscripts of Romans are in the most modern translations. It is probable that a copyist inadvertently picked up the phrase from verse 4 because the identical wording appears there. The meaning of the passage is not affected. Most of the Bible commentaries I read said the meaning was affected, and that's the reason they didn't want it there. They took those 10 words out because they said it changed the meaning. They said it made it look like we weren't saved by grace, but that we had to walk after the spirit or we would face condemnation. Then he says, this is Newell again, the evidence of the Greek manuscripts is overwhelmingly in favor of the omission of the clause. Now, I'm, I'm setting you laymen free from so-called scholarship. Let me ask you, do you, do you trust politicians that are really smart really gifted, quite able, able, and tremendously informed when they tell you something. Do you trust them? No. I don't trust doctors. I don't trust lawyers. I don't trust business people. I don't trust car salesmen or house salesmen or somebody selling a boat on the side of the road. Now, why would you trust somebody just because they put out all that stuff? Listen to what he says that the clause at the end of verse one in King James is a gloss, that means a marginal note by some copyist, appears not only from its omission by the great unical manuscript, unical, what in the world's that people would say, 
Alpha, A, B, C, D. Boy, he's educated. Look at that. F, G, A, and D. He can do his alphabet. Corrected with some good curses in ancient versions. So you read, uh, you read those things and you think, boy, there's some really intelligent people. I can't, how can I disagree with them? If they say it doesn't belong in the original manuscripts and they throw out all that stuff, well, I don't want to be a fool and continue to believe it's there. And so they scare Christians and back them down and they get afraid of ridicule. And many young pastors and teachers and preachers go along with it because they don't want to be ridiculed either for not going along with such wise and intelligent men. Now he said it's the, the evidence of Greek manuscripts is overwhelmingly in favor of the omission of the clause. Omission of the clause. Overwhelmingly in favor. Is it? He's lying to you. Let's just put it plain. He is lying to you. You know why he's lying to you? It's because he was lied to. He was lied to by the men that he read. Now here is the traditional text, the majority text, the textus receptus, the historical text, the one from which the King James Bible comes. The Italian Bible in 1649 has Romans 8, 1 in it, all of it. Now these are just, this is just a representative. Of course, the King James does in 1611. The Spanish Reina Valera in 1569, predating the King James, also has that passage in it. The Bishops 1568 has it in it. By the way, these Bibles didn't come about when somebody translated them from a single Greek text. These Bibles were available in multiple languages throughout Europe for the entire 1600 years from the time of Christ until the present time when they made them. This were simply new printings, new editions of Bibles that people had handwritten copies of. When the printing press came out and they produced new ones, their name went on them because they're the one that collated the text, put it together. And then the Beza, Greek text, 1565, Geneva, Luther's Bible in 1545 has Romans 8, 1, Kramer in 1539 has it, Coverdale has it, Tyndale in 1525 has it, Erasmus Greek text has it, the Complutusian polyglot has it, the, uh, the Theophylact has it in 11th century, uh, the P.S. Osminius has it in the 10th century, and the Anglo-Saxon Gospel, 140, has it in 1000 A.D. And in the 5th century, the Speculum has it. The 5th century, Theodoret has it. And the Slavic ancient versions and Syriac and Georgian versions, up there close to Russia, have it in it as well. And the 4th century Latin manuscript predating the corrupted manuscripts, has it. And then Christendom, fourth century, this is before Alpha and B. You don't know yet know what Alpha and B is, but that's the two Greek texts that they use to correct the King James Bible. Before those Greek texts came about, this is what Christendom says. This is a quote from the fourth century writer. And as to our having received more abundant help, hear thou Paul. In other words, listen to Paul. When he saith, now he quotes, there's therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So before Alpha and B came out, this passage was being quoted liberally and written of and preached about by ministers. And then there are thousands of lectionaires. This is a copy, a picture of one of the lectionaires, one of the nicer ones. Uh, contain Romans 8 1. Say, what's a lectionnaire? Since it was difficult to have whole books of the Bible, what the churches would do 
is they would print portions of scripture. Like if there's going to be a sermon out of Matthew uh, 22, uh, a parable or something, then they would take and print that whole parable out, maybe 25, 30, 40, 50 copies of it during the week, and then give them out to the congregation. And so over a period of time, the congregation individuals would correct, would collect great portions of scripture. And as they passed that on, there ended up being tens of thousands and millions of copies of scripture, since they couldn't have whole Bibles, that they used to read and memorize. And so there are thousands of these around, and they have Romans 8, 1 in them. And they date through many, many centuries. And then the majority Byzantine manuscript, which uh, comes out of the area of, from Antioch north up through all of southern uh, Europe, above the Mediterranean Sea, uh, Greece, uh, Italy, Spain, all the way up to Britain, all the way out through all the Baltic states, all the way up to the edge of Russia. The Byzantine manuscript was the manuscript that produced the Bible in all of those languages from which your King James Bible comes. And so all those numbers there represent different identified manuscripts out of 5,400. And so in AD 150, and I remember the Bible, the last book in the Bible is written in 95 AD. So it could, this could be older, but there's a copy, a piece of the Aramaic which contains all of Romans 8, 1, 250 years before the corrupted manuscripts they used to negate it. <laughs>